thank you so much, uh, Pastor Milani, for sharing that advice. That was so great. Um, as I was researching for this message, I also came across some advice. I, I have plenty of advice uh, that I have received from my mother, but, um, you know, mothers give really good advice, don't they? Good advice? You're not just saying that because your mom's sitting right next to you, are you? <laughs> so listen to the, some of, these, uh, some of the, the advice that uh, some business leaders have said they attribute to their mothers. Uh, Richard Branson, the CEO of Virgin Enterprise, Virgin Everything, you know, Air, Mobile, whatever, uh, says, my mom, he's British, told me to have no regrets. She explained how to think of setbacks as part of a learning curve. Sometimes it will be steep, but if you concentrate on looking forward rather than back, the climb will be easier. My mother was able to ingrain that advice in me, not just through words, but through actions. Uh, Christopher M. Connor, CEO of Sherwin-Williams, uh, says, My mother taught me, or told me, read. Read the classics, read great authors, read every day. My mom took me to the library all the time. Moved from Dr. Seuss to Nancy Drew, Hemingway, Steinbeck, Mishner, Wolf, London, etc. over the years. That's good advice. My mom taught me to read as well. Uh, and believe it or not, mothers also give business advice. So here we have uh, George Gallegos. He's the CEO of a company called Jitterbit, which provides IT services in the cloud. Um, he says, my mother taught me to treat others as you would want to be treated. This lesson helped me shape our company's core philosophy to build a deep sense of respect and responsibility towards our employees and our customers. This is especially important for a cloud platform vendor because we can't just write the software and ship it. Our, cu our customers rely on us to keep their systems running, and we know the only way to earn their trust is by treating them with respect. And finally, uh, this one, I like this one. T. Boone Pickens, he's the chairman of BP Capital Management. He, said, he says, if I, had if I had to single out one piece of advice that's guided me through life, most likely it would be from my grandmother. She always made a point of making sure I understood that on the road to success, there's no point in blaming others when you fail. After more than half a century in the energy business, her advice has proven itself to be spot on time and time again. My failures? I never have any doubt whom they can be traced back to. My successes? Most likely the same guy. Now there's just something about the advice of the mother that puts things on a whole different perspective. I mean, our mom has raised us, walked with us through life and can see the bigger picture. And I always find it strange that as I get further along in life, my mother's advice becomes more and more relevant, or maybe I'm just becoming more and more humble as I realize that my mom did know a lot more about life than I gave her credit for in the first place. So today, our text from God's Word is the prayer of a mother. The prayer of a mother the mother of a great leader who is very influential in the life of Israel. I want to talk to you today about Hannah, the mother of the great leader Samuel. So if you would, would you please turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And I think TJ is going to pull it up for us as well. And uh, as you're turning there, let me give you a little background of this prayer. The events in the book of Samuel chronologically follow the events found in the book of Judges. And at the very end of the book of Judges, we see the verse... Uh, this verse that says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 21, 25. So the people of Israel had brought themselves to a very dark time. 
A time when sin had a fierce hold on God's chosen nation. A time when the faithful nation was dwindling down to the faithful few. So we talk about a moral compass. What, what guides a person's morals? We talk about, uh, for example, the people of Israel, their moral compass was originally the word of God. It was the scriptures, the, the law that Moses had written down for them. But we see the moral compass has shifted. It's shifted from trust in God faith in God to a faith in self, faith in, in my own desires. The moral compass of the people was found in their own desires. The people of Israel had rejected the authority of God. But in the midst of this spiritual mutiny, we find a family that has not given up on worship to the Most High God. At the beginning of the book of First Samuel, we see um, this, uh, a story of a family headed by a man named Elkanah. I may be pronouncing it wrong. Just disclaimer. It's been a couple thousand years since that name has been put down on papers. So, uh, this family faithfully followed God, as is evidenced by how they made the travel to Shiloh to worship every year. They are very consistent, very very consistent family in worshiping God. Unfortunately, this is a, a bright shining gem of a family in the middle of this dark stormy time, but not always happy in the Elkanah household. Uh, Elkanah had two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Our very first impression of these two women is their childbearing status. We see that Peninnah had many, many children, but Hannah had absolutely none because her womb had uh, been closed by God or God had not granted her children at that time. And during the time of this writing, you were considered cursed if you were a woman who could not bear children. So Hannah was quite insecure about this this uh, condition that she had. Um, it didn't help that whenever they would take a family vacation to worship God, Elkanah's other wife would constantly tease, and, and the Bible actually says unceasingly, uh, cruelly tease Hannah because of her inability to produce offspring. Everyone, as they're traveling on, vaca- well, on vacation to worship, they would have to eat under the same tent, eat at the same house, they're following the same path, so the teasing would have ne- never stopped at this point. When they arrive in Shiloh, in this particular instance, uh, found in the beginning of the first book of Samuel, Hannah cries out to God, even to the point of bargaining with God. Have you ever bargained with God? Now, this scripture is not saying that bargaining with God is the best way to do it, but Hannah does use that tactic here. Um, Hannah tells God, if you will give me children, I will give to your service my firstborn son. What a promise. What a promise. This is not the promise of someone who has it all together. This is not the promise of someone who understands uh, everything that's going on. This is the promise of someone who is desperate. So, Eli the priest, who is the priest, the, the current top priest at this time, thinks she is drunk and so calls her out as she's sitting there wailing and, 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 and mumbling and uh, the, the feasts that they travel to at this time are a time of rejoicing. The feasts that they, they travel to uh, as a family are a time to be happy and, and uh, excited, and she is weeping and crying. So, she, so Eli thinks, yeah, this girl has got such... She's a little too happy, perhaps. Um, but she, she tells him, no, I, I am just distressed. I'm crying out to God. So Eli feels God, feels the Spirit of God, and, and tells her, God is going to grant your request. God has heard your prayer. So Hannah, very excited. Complete change. 
from black and white. She is sad, and then all of a sudden she is happy. She returns home. We find out she gives birth to a son. And here we come closer to our text today. Our text is a prayer, and also what they would refer to as a psalm. Not really what we would typically consider a prayer, where we're asking for something. There's no petition. There's no request. So it's been referred to as a psalm, a psalm to God, and a psalm especially about God. So would you follow along um, as I read? Another thing to keep in mind is that this happens immediately after Hannah gives up her son to custody to the family of Eli. So this prayer was probably heard by her husband. This prayer was probably heard by Eli, by Peninnah, the the other wife that constantly cruelly teased her. And it was probably heard as well by her young son, Samuel. 1 Samuel 2, 1. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. Verse 9. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What a powerful prayer. This particular prayer has inspired generations. We even see Mary, mother of Jesus, has a very similar prayer that she utters uh, when she finds out that she's going to give birth to the Savior. And so... I am very excited to get to explore this character of Hannah and also to explore her prayer and uh, how this applies to our Christian practice today. So let me open, uh, well, (laughs) open. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into the the message today. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this word that you have given me to bring. God, I pray that you would just work through me. Father, that you would help me to say everything that you need me to say. Father, I pray that, uh, God, you would be able to take this and apply it to our lives. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. So the main focus of our message today is this woman named Hannah. Now, our first impression of Hannah is one of pain. Our first impression of this woman is that she cannot give birth. Uh, but we find out that she eventually does give birth to a, a great son. Now, we know childbirth is a very painful process. I, I don't know that from personal experience. I've heard, heard that it's painful. But the pain is so necessary to experience the joy of raising and loving a child. And I can't imagine either that Hannah enjoyed the thought of giving up her child to Eli. I can't imagine. I I can't imagine that was painful. But the painful process was so necessary to experience the joy of seeing God's will fulfilled. Through Hannah, the whole kingdom of Israel was blessed. In our text, we read in verses 7 and 8, 
perfect. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. Hannah declares that the worries of this world cannot best God's love. The people who struggle the most, the poor, they can reign like kings as God shows them favor and love. You see, God is showing us that this faith of Hannah needs to be the faith of us. Hannah's influence should be a driving force in our life. The one who endured pain for the joy at the end, this should be a model. But let me tell you, um, it can be a painful process. We talk about birthing children, but what else, in more of a metaphorical sense, is being birthed right here today on earth? The kingdom of God is being birthed here on earth. And it's our job to bring this kingdom of God to earth, to be his hands extended here on earth, to reach out to the hurting to favor the innocent, to love the vulnerable, to tell the world about him. This message, however, fights against everything that the world would have us to believe. There are so many selfish influences within the world. And the clashing of these influences, of our call and the influence of the world, are the pains, the birthing pains of this kingdom of God that's being brought about in this day and age. But these pains should not deter us. These pains should not keep us from standing for what is right. These pains should bring us joy. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, after all, says to rejoice in all circumstances. Now, one area that I, uh, I still suffer and in the past have suffered pain from is the area of sports. Can I get a witness? <laughs> I remember when I was on basketball team, it was a homeschool basketball team. So we only met three times a week, and we met at like 6 a.m. at the Boys and Girls Club because that was the only slot we had available. Um, it was quite awful. But we were, let me tell you, we were the most well-conditioned team uh, pretty much uh, in, our, in our league that, in which we played. Uh, so we, every morning, 6 a.m., we'd have high school guys running suicides, which is where you start one end of the court, quarter of the way back, halfway back, and you got to touch the line. You can't just step over it. You've got to reach down and touch it. And last one in has to do 10 push-ups if, if they're the last one in. So uh, suicides was an ap- a good term for this. Um, but anyway, lo- lots of pain from sports. But um, one person that we have seen, and, and maybe you watched these games, the 1996 Olympics Games in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, a competitor named Carrie Strug. Does that ring a bell? Carrie Strug. Um, she was the last competing member of the American gymnastics team. And if she could, she had two vaults. If she could ace one of these vaults, they would walk away with the gold for America. The Team America would walk away with the gold. So she lines up and she completes her first vault and she sprains her ankle, severely sprains her ankle. So she, the, everyone watching this is on the edge of their seats. Like, okay, she, at this point, she could walk away and it, that could be it. And America would not take the gold. They'd have to settle for something less. They probably wouldn't even place. But she gets back up there. She literally limps back onto the platform to perform the last vault. And she performs that vault and completely sticks to the landing despite the pain. She's an instant hero of America. Her her face plastered on newspapers all over the the country. Had it not been, however, had it not been for her previous injury, it could have just, oh, just another gold for America. You know, she would have gone down in some record book and have been forgotten. But because, because she had sprained her ankle, Carrie Strug will long be remembered for her courage and her skill at such a, a crucial and a difficult time. 
Similarly, Hannah's pain was so great, but if she had never faced it or if she had given up in the midst of the pain, we may never have known much about her. Now, it is not all doom and gloom. God does send pain. We do have hardships in life, but God also gives us great blessings, especially here in America. Lots of good things. Lots of great opportunities. And God doesn't leave Hannah in her pain. She is blessed with a bouncing baby boy. But as many mothers do, they receive blessings and turn around just to give them back, just to give them away. And Hannah does the same thing with her baby boy. You know, mothers receive those blessings, as they said, and often they are called on at a moment's notice to just give it right back to the people they love most in their lives. Now, if you're not a mother and would like to know what it's like to be a mother, just, it, just a minimally small amount, you know, idea of what it could be like to be a, a, a mother, um, uh, I would encourage you to attend one of our camps, one of our summer camps, kids or youth camps. Because for 20 hours a day, and this is my rough estimate, it's probably an average, a little less, a little more sometimes, about 20 hours a day, you have constant demands on your attention. Uh, you wake up in the morning, the kids want to know, when are we going to go get breakfast? And they, you, you're going out to the basketball court, and they, they, they're just taking and taking and taking. And I just, I, I've done kids' camps for so long, and, and I understand. And, and the, the best time, the best time of kids' camps, and, and uh, when it gets a little later in the week, is when the kids are just wiped out, and they do not wake up early. <laughs> they don't wake up with the sun, and I get that, few, that like hour to just kind of do my own thing, and, and just, you know, I'll wake up at 6. If I have to get up before those kids at 6 a.m., I'm doing it, because that time is so precious. Uh, one mother that I talked to uh, told me that she would just lock herself in the bathroom for five minutes just to get peace and to not have her attention demanded of her. So mothers take a little time here and there to rejuvenate themselves, and they step back into life, and then their motherly wisdom and their uh, motherly expertise is immediately demanded of them. Quite tiring. But despite the pain, mothers press on. They do. They press on. And despite the lack of sleep, they press on. And mothers, uh, we just really want to thank you today for pressing on. Thank you for pushing through the pain, never giving up. If you ever feel like giving up, just know that God hold, can hold that situation in the palm of his hand, that nothing is too big for him and nothing is too small. Another wonderful characteristic we see of Hannah is that she is never, or I'm sorry, that she never compromises her faith in God. No matter what happens, she never compromises her faith in God. In a time of horrible sin, in a, a time of mass movement away from God and away from the worship of God and trust in God, Hannah still chooses to follow through with her promise. Hannah chooses to be separated from her son to fulfill what she has promised. Now I can imagine it must have been really difficult. That, that must have been a hard, a hard decision for Hannah. There were, after all, many, many worse things happening at this time. Um, God commanded them not to marry with other very ungodly heathen nations and, and Israelites were intermarrying with ungodly heathen nations. They were abusing the poor. The selfishness of the nation of Israel was really coming to, to light at this time. Instead of making, and there's, there's a class of people group that s some people refer to as the less well-off in the, in the Bible, that is uh, children, especially orphans, um, 
the elderly, widows, and, and refugees, these are the, the people that God says to pay the most attention to and to respect and honor the most. The people of Israel were taking these, these people, were taking the, um, these people and abusing them, taking advantage of the highly disadvantaged. So there's many worse things happening, and how easy would it have been for Hannah to just conveniently forget about her promise to God? To just conveniently, oh, you know, I did that, I, I said that when I was desperate, and I said that when I, I didn't really know what was going on. So, you know, it doesn't really apply right now. I have a son. You know, she could have lived and watched her son grow up and been with her son, and as she got older, her son could take care of her. These are all the benefits that she could have had, but she chose to not compromise her faith. In 1 Samuel 2, 1, we see that Hannah says, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted high. Horn, in the Bible, and especially in 1 Samuel, was referring to strength. The horn is, is, is a symbol of strength. Um, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. This is not the prayer, as we saw earlier, this is not the prayer of someone asking for something, someone uh, desperate for something. This is a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of declaration. She is happily announcing to everyone in her life that she trusts in God in the good times and trusts in Him in the bad times. Not an ounce of remorse for her decision to bargain with God. She is quite secure in her decision. Now, it can be easy for us to look at the world, maybe to look at the way that um, parents, uh, other parents raise their kids, parents in the church, outside of the church, whatever, um, and to think, oh, it, it would be so easy to just compromise my beliefs. It would be so easy to just let my kids do some of the things that these other parents let their kids do. Um, and, you know, it really does, it comes down to the, the parents parents have to raise their kids. You can send your kid to youth group, but I can't raise your kid. Uh, you can send your kid to, to kids' church, but I can't raise your kid to walk in the... Uh, not that I, I'm not doing kids' church. Sorry, that was a slip of the tongue. Um, but we cannot raise your kid to follow God. That is The responsibility is on you. Um, one of my friends, when he's exasperated with someone, says, ah, some people's kids. Uh, you know, emphasizing that you know it's the parents' fault that the kid is the way they are. But... I don't want to tell you how to raise your kids. Everyone needs to make those choices for themselves. But there is a growing body of research that shows that kids are highly, highly negatively influenced, um, especially kids on the lower end of grade school. Teenagers, that's a whole other story. They're affected by everything. But anyway, the lower end of the grade school range, range that are highly affected by violence in the media. Um, and this is a report from 2004, so things could have changed quite a bit either way. Um, but in 2004 the American Psychological Association reported that the average child was exposed to 8,000 murders by the time they turned 11. 8,000 murders. Now, I know that the cause of violence in America, and we do some, some of our statistics are higher than other nations, but I know that that cannot be, you can't trace the cause back to just the media. There's many influences. But it's so interesting when you look at uh, it, it's such an eye-opening topic when you look at the comparisons and how the media affects, uh, affects children. So I am very thankful for all the strong families that we have here in this congregation. Thank you so much for, for not compromising. And parents, I know it can be difficult to stand strong uh, when the world is trying to tell you to raise your kids a, a different way, an ungodly way. But throughout the Bible, we see that God honors and blesses those people who stand strong, who stand strong when their culture pressures them to give in. So please, for the sake of our future, our congregation, please do not compromise your beliefs.
Now, it's one thing to say, don't compromise your beliefs. But it's another thing entirely to think about, what do I believe? What do I believe? What use is your faith if you have faith in false hopes? So we see that Hannah, yes, she never compromised her faith in God, and she also took the time to instill the fear of God into Samuel. She took the time to instill the fear of God into Samuel. You know, mothers, you have huge influence on what your kids learn, what your kids pick up, um, uh, especially the, um, uh, a lot of stay-at-home moms. You, you have a lot more access to your children. Um, and this is a message for everyone, everyone on the whole spectrum. Um, the way you talk to God will have a huge influence on the way your kids talk to God. The things you teach your, your kids about God either through your behaviors or through what you say, that's going to have a huge influence on what your kids think about God. By this time of our, of our uh, parable, or not parable, sorry, our story here, by this time, Israel would have had a fairly firm theology, that is, an understanding of God. They would have had a deep understanding of God based on the stories that have been passed down orally and recorded using basic written technologies. Um, the author, by showing what Hannah prays here is trying to show that Hannah has a deep understanding of God. A deep understanding of God. You know, our first impression of Hannah is that she is the cursed wife of the two. That she is the cursed wife. But her faith in God is never shaken. And like any good mother, Hannah probably led Samuel in the way of God. We see multiple times in the Psalms and the Proverbs that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The frequency, the, you know, the amount of times we see this, this theme in, in Scripture, we see it over and over again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. It shows that the Israelites believed that the fear of God was not something to be taken lightly. The fear of God was essential for worship of Him. When I say fear, I don't mean just frightened, you know, uh, scary movie fear. I mean a respect, an honor, a deep appreciation for so what would uh, Hannah have taught Samuel? Well, we see in Hannah's prayer that what, uh, what she believes about God. And you know, she has a, a theology in here. And we, we are all theologians, if you think about it. You know, people have uh, shied away from that term theologian or theology. And, um, and sometimes, even in, our, uh, in the past, in our movement, we've marginalized the educated people that practice, you know, study theology. We've marginalized the, the people that ask the hard questions. But um, if you have an opinion about God, you have a theology, okay? We're all theologians. We're not all prof professional theologians, like universities and people writing books and stuff, but, but we, we all have a theology. So the theology that we see in Hannah's prayer is we see that Hannah considers God to be a king, we see, we see um, that Hannah declares her allegiance to God in this prayer. You know, at this time, Israel was cut right down the middle. We had, um, well, actually not quite down the middle, but one half we had people that wanted to say a theocracy. That is, uh, a country, a nation guided by God. And the other half, we had a, a group, we had people that wanted to see the nation uh, guided by a king, by a physical king, by, by a person. And over time, it has slowly shifted to where more and more people wanted a, an actual king. A king. We see that Samuel is the judge that leads uh, the, the people of Israel into a, uh, uh, at God's request to lead the people of Israel to have a king. Um, but we also see that having a king is not good for the people of Israel. But that is an entirely different sermon. <laughs> Hannah 
also declares her allegiance. It's very patriotic. You see a lot of kind of patriotic-sounding terms in here. Um, then Hannah also declares the supremacy of God in this prayer. That is, he is all supreme. He is the top dog. He is the guy in charge. Hannah declares also the justice of God in this prayer. And she also declares the righteousness of God in this prayer. And there's many more things we can pull out of that, but four is all I had time for. As you finish the story, and I encourage you to finish First Samuel, uh, as you finish the story, you find out that Samuel was one of the most influential leaders in all of Israel's history. So I wonder how much of his strong character, how much of his strong personality came from the faithfulness of his parents to, to, to worship, to come every year and to worship and to stay true to God. A heavy question that God laid on my heart during my studies was, how can we instill the fear of God into the next generation? How can we instill the fear of God into the next generation? And not just the generation following ours, but every generation following ours. How, what is the best way to, to pass that along? Now, when I have kids, I know I will be looking to the older generations, people, people who are older than me, uh, who have lived life longer, have raised kids, to model the way. And that's just it. We have to model the way to instill the fear of God into our kids. Here are some questions to ask yourself. How am I going to model my allegiance to Jesus for the next generation? How am I going to show the next generation the supremacy of God? How am I going to model the justice that God wants us to have, that he models for us? And then how am I going to show the next generation the righteousness of God? Hannah and Elkanah, they modeled the way for Samuel. God wants us to model the way for the next generation. So finally... We see in our prayer that we are studying here that Hannah was secure enough in her identity as a mother who follows God that she was willing to give up her firstborn son to God for service. And at this age, Samuel was probably about two to four years old when he was given up. That's, that's not a lot of time with a, with a child, two to four years old. Um, so he would probably have very little memory of his mother as he grew up. That's a, that's a risk she was going to have to take. Um, and she, I'm sure when she traveled back to Shiloh to, for the annual worship that she would see him, but she wasn't going to have all the normal experiences that a, that a mother would have. So a decision like that would require great trust in God. Great trust in God. And this, decisions of, uh, this decision of Hannah's was one of the most painful, but also one of the most beneficial to her little son, Samuel. As we see, he goes on to become a leader. In the middle of all the craziness, Elkanah and Hannah still faithfully worshipped God. Hannah was secure and strong in her dependence on God. No matter what was thrown her way, she chose to bless his name. You know, I love, love, love that song that goes, um, You give and take away, you give and take away, But my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. This is a kind of theology that or this understanding of God that he gives and he takes. Sometimes in America we have trouble with that because we receive blessings, we receive blessings. Um, God does give us great blessings, but we also see in the Bible that he, that he takes away or allows bad things to happen to us. And it's not his desire for us to suffer, but bad things happen. So let me warn you, before you start applying this concept to life, it's, it's not okay to make assumptions about whether God is punishing someone or not. Okay? So don't, don't take any opportunity if you see someone suffering to tell them God is punishing you. That, that is 
against anything the Bible wants us to teach, unless you have a specific word from God and you've ran through all the pastors, and there's just it's, that is just not something that we do. Um, so let's look at Hannah's words, uh, chapter two, verse four, five, and six. Hannah's words. She says, um, and I'm going to just skip around in there. Um, the Lord brings death and brings life. The bows of the warriors are broken. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, and the one with many sons pines away. These are not the words of an insecure girl. These are the words of a very secure, a very strong woman, uh, a mother. See, Hannah understood something that we all need to understand. If we find our identity in anything else but God, if we find our identity in anything else but God, we are sure to come to ruin. The warriors who found their identity in their weapons of war uh, in their instruments of war, uh, they were defeated. The rich who put their hope in wealth have been humbled. The women who put their identity in the many sons they have birthed have been made barren. So church, we cannot find our identity in anything else but him. We cannot find our identity in our job. We cannot find our identity in our spouse. It needs to be in him. Mothers, thank you so much for all your efforts. Thank you so much for all your efforts. Press on despite the pain. Never compromise your faith in God. Please continue to instill the fear of God into your children. And find security in God and God alone. You know, while I was preparing this morning's message, I uh, couldn't help but wonder, what would some of the great leaders of the Bible had to say? Or what would, they, what would they have had to say if we had asked them, what kind of advice did your mother give you? So I wrote up some, some thoughts I had. Would Moses have said, my mother taught me to always depend on my family and friends for support in rough times. We know he went through a lot of rough times. Um, would King Solomon have said, my mother always told me if I was given one free wish to wish for wisdom? <laughs> would Paul the Apostle have said, my mom told me to always write letters and stay in touch with those people who are important to you? And finally, would Samson have said, oh, I should have listened to my mother. She told me to find a nice Hebrew girl to settle down with, but now this Philistine girl is basically making me tear out my own hair. <laughs> so I think it could be a fun exercise to try to figure out what, what leadership principles the, the leaders of the Bible practiced. Um, and studying the Bible, Bible is fun and great, but really where the rubber meets the road is when we take what is written in the Bible and we put it into practice and we change our lives. The Bible's not doing anything for you if your life's not changing because of it. You know, we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And if the Bible is not changing your life, you're not using it correctly. <clears throat> so... This brought me to the question, what is a mother? What does a mother do for her kids? And really, in the context of this passage, a mother is a mentor. A mother is a, is a mentor. We see the mentoring of mothers as they raise their children, they, they teach them right from wrong. And I mean, this goes for both, both parents. We're focusing on mothers right now, so forgive me, husbands, but uh, fathers, that is. Um, but that's what they are. They're, they're mentors. And mothers are great mentors, but we don't all have access to our mothers. Um, and here in this congregation, though, we have a whole, a whole great age range of mothers. But I don't think God wants to limit it to just mothers today. I think he wants to look at all, all of us um, as a great range of potential mentors as well. Potential mentors in our congregation. We have young marrieds. We have mature and wise marriages represented here. We have strong Christians. We have baby Christians. We have all range of people represented here. And so my challenge to the younger, uh, younger couples, younger singles, is 
uh, seek out those people whose marriages are tried and true. Let's let's learn from them. I'm I'm a younger I, I'm in a younger marriage. But let's take the time to seek them out. You know, offer to take them out for dinner. Uh, uh, seek out those couples who will have more to speak in your life, who have been through some of the things you are going to go through. Um, some of my favorite ministry, and, and it's 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 not just a ministry to the younger couples, but some of my favorite ministry is is when I get to hang out with people who are older than me or, or hang out in a nursing home or something along those lines where you just soak in the wisdom that they have. But the buck doesn't stop with the younger folk. This is a two-way relationship. So older couples, older um, people who are older than me, um, seek out those people whose marriages or even whose lives are fresh, new, untried, blossoming. Offer to take them out uh, for dinner, invite them over for dinner, wh- whatever the case is. But let's really develop some really awesome mentor relationships. And that's what's so essential and so amazing about the church is that these relationships can be fostered. Did you know that you don't, you don't have to keep your friendships uh, at church here in the building? Isn't that crazy? You can, you can interact outside of the building. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so that's my challenge. That's my challenge to you today. I'd also like to take an altar call. So, um, TJ, if you get some quiet music going, that'd be awesome. And, uh, you know, I've talked about these principles, um, the principles of uh, staying strong despite of pain, uh, never compromising your faith, instilling the fear of God into your children. And I was trying to do it by memory, but it didn't work. You find security in God and God alone. If, if there's anything, any of these that you need help modeling, you know, where everyone looks, everyone has someone that looks up to them. So if, you, if there's any of these that you need help modeling, if you need help from God in any of these areas mentioned, I would love to pray with you. So as TJ prays some music, um, I'm going to close in prayer. Um, and anyone that would like prayer for any of these, uh, any well, anything in general, but specifically these issues, uh, feel free to meet me down here. And uh, we're going to have some some ladies at the door handing out roses for all the uh, uh, adult ladies as they're leaving. So um, after I'm done praying, they'll, they'll scramble over there. But I just thank you so much for uh, worshiping with us. And um, if you need prayer... Just feel free to come meet me down here. Father God, we thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for the the mentoring relationship we have with you, Father. God, I thank you for all the mothers, all the mothers we have with us. I pray you would bless them and you would help them to feel loved and appreciated today um, as as people are scrambling to finish the Mother's Day's plans um, and grab buy cards or whatever's happening. I just pray you would uh, keep us all safe on the roads. And God, we just pray that, uh, God, we would always be able to have the fear of you, Father. God, that we would always be able to have the fear of you, Father, and that we'd be able to instill that into the next generation, God. The next generation, Father God. God, I pray we'd never compromise. pray we would never, ever give up on you, Father God. No matter what happens, no matter, no matter how easy it seems to give up on our, our faith and our beliefs in, in, in any instance, God, I pray we would never compromise our beliefs, Father. And God, I pray that, uh, that you would be our identity, Father, that you and you alone would be our identity. In your holy name we pray. Amen.